0: You are listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. Get ready to change your life. Welcome, everybody. This is Buck Joffrey with the Wealth Formula Podcast coming to you still in quarantine from Santa Barbara, California. Before we start, I want to remind you of a few things. There is a website called WealthFormula.com. It is the home base of this podcast, and there's lots of resources there for you to take advantage of. It's also where you're going to sign up for our accredited investor club if you are an accredited investor. Now, what is an accredited investor? It's somebody who makes $200,000 per year or $300,000 if filing jointly, has done so for two years, or you have a net worth of $1,000,000 outside of your uh, personal residence. So, the bar is not that hard for most of you, I know, because you're super successful, but you don't have to apply for something to be accredited. You either are, you aren't. And if you are, you qualify for magic, right? Opportunities to create uh, wealth and probably more efficient and uh, tax efficient uh, ways as well. Uh, so go check that out, uh, Investor Club at WealthFormula.com. Now, as for today's show, and, and, and it's probably going to be a lot more than just today's show, let me explain what happened. You see, we had episode 200 uh, not too long ago, it was a, a few weeks ago. And, um, and so I had all of these questions on, you know, Ask Buck, and it was going to be like, a, you know, episode 200. And I was like, okay. So to all these questions, and I was going to do uh, multiple shows uh, in a row to answer uh, these kind of questions. They tend to be pretty popular shows, but the problem was uh, not the problem, but what ended up happening is we um, we got hit with this whole uh, COVID nineteen thing, and we ended up uh, doing a series of you know shows that were much more relevant to that uh, what was going on. Uh, we've had economists talk about what's going on we've had um you know we we've, we've we've had doctors uh, physicians uh, come on the show and discuss things anyway we kind of got behind with all these questions but i have all these questions and again they tend to be very popular shows because i think you know these are the shows where you get my opinion it's just it's not just me interviewing somebody else so today We are going to start with these questions, and I have to warn you, some of them are a little bit old, a little bit old, and uh, we're going to get through them. And my guess is it's going to take a couple of shows. It might even take a third show. Who knows? But We're going to start. We're going to get through pretty much everything uh, that you have sent me. So we'll get started with another episode of Ask Buck when we come back. With an average investor internal rate of return of almost 34%, with hold times just over three and a half years, these guys know what the meaning of velocity of money is. If you're an accredited investor, make sure to check out what they're up to right now at ReliantFund4.com. Again, that's ReliantFund4.com. Okay, welcome back to the show, everyone. Uh As you know, uh, there is no guest today. There is only me, and there is you and your questions. So with that said, let's move on right away. Let's get started. And the first question is an audio question because we have both audio questions. And uh, for those of you who are a little shy, uh, we have uh, ones that were written, which I will read as well. The first one is from Bruce.
1: Here we go. Hello, Buck. I am a primary care physician working in the suburbs of Chicago. Over 30 years of practice, I've regularly invested in the stock market. However, over the past five years, in an effort to diversify away from what I perceive as an overvalued and volatile asset class, I've moved away from Wall Street and now have a significant portion of my portfolio in cash. I recently invested in an oil and gas offering with Resolute Capital Partners in an effort to take advantage of recent price declines in that asset class what other opportunities for investment do you see presenting over the next couple of years thanks bruce corwin
0: well thanks for your question bruce uh well um i have to say that being in cash right now is obviously fortuitous uh, i can't remember if this uh, this particular question was before COVID-19 or not, but if it was before, well, great place to be in right now, in my humble opinion, uh, that is cash. You know, cash is king. And as I've said on this program before, um, you know, this, uh, this pandemic has hit us like a gigantic earthquake. But, you know, as we saw in Fukushima, Japan. After they had the big earthquake, the ensuing tsunami was even worse and more destructive. And the complexity of trouble from that initial insu- uh, of the initial insult of that earthquake, including the nuclear reactor failure, ex- uh, etc., was a complete surprise. And um, you know that was not predicted by anyone. So using that horrible example of you know what can happen when you least expect it after you get punched in the face. Uh, Well, we're waiting, in my opinion, right now for a tsunami to hit. I'm not sure it's going to hit. You know, to be clear, it's completely unclear what's going to happen to me, but it's certainly possible. And what would prevent that tsunami from hitting? Well, we have unparalleled fiscal and monetary policy measures being taken right now uh, that are essentially thwarting a depression that would almost be guaranteed. You know, if if the government and the Fed weren't doing what they were doing right now, we'd all be screwed for sure. But the real question is how much of what they're doing right now? I mean, all the trillions of dollars and all of the, uh, you know, the Fed's even get involved in junk bonds and all that. uh, How much uh, of it? Those efforts are going to mitigate our damage. You know, Uh, the stock market is obviously betting that things will get back to normal pretty quickly. They seem to be very, very optimistic. Uh, You know, you've got a market that's down maybe 12 to 14 percent. And you have to ask yourself this question. Is this a 12 to 14 percent problem? Uh, You know, I don't think so. I think it's a far greater problem than that. So the market is clearly factoring in this idea that there's going to be some sort of quick recovery you know, I've talked to some institutional advisors, and they are like, "Oh yeah, we think that the worst is behind us. You know I'll tell you what i It's hard for me to believe, but then again, we've never had to do this kind of you know fiscal and monetary relief uh this quickly and this fast. So you know, I'm not as optimistic uh as as some of those people, but I'm also admittedly not smart enough to know if these interventions by the government and the Fed will give us some sort of soft landing. I would be shocked. I would be very surprised. But I also am not going to sit there and act like I'm, you know, (laughs) that I can predict the future. Uh, We've never been here before. But, you know, getting back to your question, bottom line is that most asset classes are still in a falling knife scenario. You know, the old saying that never try to catch a falling knife you know, if things go south, everything, everything will go on sale. But it's hard to say, right? It's hard to say for sure. As you know, as our listeners and our investor club knows, we in multifamily and apartment buildings, a working class multifamily in markets like Dallas and Phoenix, Scottsdale and uh, Atlanta, where we focus on high, high growth markets and value add, we're actually doing really, really well. I mean, it's pretty extraordinary how well we're doing throughout this. Um, and what I am realizing is that responsible operators, like the good jockeys, that if you bet on the right jockeys, um, they are showing resilience of this asset class right now. Sure, there's you know bad operators that are using this as an example or using this as an excuse to say why they're not performing, but the good operators are, are really performing well and if that trend continues, it is quite possible that we could see multifamily apartment buildings, uh, you know, all these uh, assets in real estate that are are performing well, despite all of this craziness, actually turn into like a safe harbor for a lot of, uh, you know, bigger money. And we could see a lot more money uh, then going into apartments and drive up costs. So it's hard to predict, but overall, what I would say is it's a falling knife, you know, Uh, In my opinion, you don't do anything except I don't disagree at all with your oil investment. It makes sense to me um, because of what happened with oil and gas. We started out with obviously this enormous drop in energy consumption, energy consumption uh, drop because, well, hey, we all are home, right? And no one's traveling and all that stuff. But then on top of that, there was this breakup between uh, OPEC and Russia, uh, the the uh, the so-called OPEC plus that caused prices to plunge even more. And as you know, uh, crude oil prices actually dropped below zero. So, you know, that, you know, oil and gas doesn't really get beat up any more than that. You can, you know, you're already negative, right? How much worse could it be? So I actually think that blood was in the street. And as we're seeing, there's already a little bit of a recovery there um, and frankly, if you look at oil and gas, as we get out of quarantine, uh, you know there is this natural rise in demand just because we're going to actually be using, uh, you know, using oil and gas. So as long as we, uh, you know, a year from now we're we're sitting there and we're driving cars and we're on planes again uh, in a year or two from now, then then the horizon seems to be uh, fairly positive. Anyway, bottom line is with everything else. Uh, other than oil and gas, I think my opinion is wait and see, and it may be, you know, Q4, maybe late, late summer, something like that. And if you're sitting on cash, you can buy anything that goes on sale. That's a great place to be. Uh, the next question is from Dave Clivens, uh, Dave, uh, this is a written question. Uh, he writes, uh, uh, which nations or municipalities have the best bargains on farmland? Uh, that's one question the next question is what is the best way to cash flow raw land and then and then the final question when will the 37th parallel open and how do you connect with south koreans who will be developing businesses there wow well i uh, i'm not great at trivial pursuit dave um i'm just kidding about that i'm well i'm probably okay at it but what I am not is I'm not an expert at uh, on farmland I'm not an expert on raw land or Korea uh, I would add that I wouldn't trust anyone who claimed to be an expert and gave you advices in all these areas now what I will tell you is this uh, when it comes to farmland I wouldn't get into it unless you have a farming background right or you know someone who you really know and like and trust and has a great track record in farming um, to go in that direction, right? I mean, it sounds really appealing. I agree with you. Farmland, hey, I'm all about it, right? But I don't know. I don't know anything about farming. And I don't know a lot of, you know, farming entrepreneurs that I know, like, and trust and that I think are really smart people. I'm sure they're out there. And if if I knew who they were, maybe I'd be investing them. But I don't know that. And you have to focus on, not only the asset class, but who you know who has expertise there. The other thing about farming is I would quite honestly trust virtually no one on the topic of farming uh, in the podcast uh, ecosystem, uh, especially if you start hearing about anything you know, offshore. I mean, run the other way if you start hearing about offshore farming and stuff, okay? Just run the other way because in my experience, a lot of this stuff, particularly on the Uh, in the podcast uh, ecosystem uh, is that offshore means for investors, well, if you are getting screwed or cheated or you feel like someone has broken the law, well, you're shit out of luck trying to try to get the SEC involved in the Caribbean. uh, Good luck with that. So bottom line is, folks, keep it boring. All right. And with regard to raw land, which, you know, it, it it's a different thing because we're talking about something domestic now, maybe maybe something um, that I know some people have had some experience and some luck with this idea of cash flowing uh, raw land. I know the land geek talks about that and he's been on the show, but I do know a number of people who have done this. And the one thing that it is not is passive income. It requires a fair amount of work and it is also not something that is particularly scalable. And from an investment standpoint, I like scalable, right? I like something that really doesn't have, you know, I don't have to spend a certain amount of time doing it and then I kind of cap out and I can't really do more than that. But, you know, that said, if you don't mind giving yourself another job, you're looking for something fun to do and maybe get a little extra side gig income, so to speak, maybe check that stuff out. But, you know, the bottom line is don't expect it to be easy or without significant growth limitations. Uh, farming and raw land are businesses. They are not passive assets. And I think sometimes, again, in this Real estate podcast ecosystem. There is this tendency to make them seem similar, and they are not. They just are not. And you should be getting substantially higher returns than anything uh, that is a business um, and requires a lot of uh, a lot of people, personnel, uh, and uh, you know more than just people just needing to live someplace. Uh, as for Korea, well, those kinds of large macro movements do, in fact, you know. They obviously create huge earning opportunities. Uh, who knows when, you know, if there's really a North Korea opportunity coming in. But they'll likely come from, you know, the the people who are going to get rich off of this are probably going to be in the area of private equity who already understand Asia extremely well, which, again, I do not. Bottom line is, I think that um, uh, all of this stuff you bring up is great. But remember that sometimes boring is good. Let me give you an example of this, right? Because I've been through this. Every entrepreneur likes to chase shiny objects until uh, until they realize that, you know what, there's some things that work and some things that don't, and you stick with the things that do. So before COVID-19, you know, I'm giving an example here. Um, literally on this show, I, I, um, I wrote a you know, I I I talked about how I was tempted to get involved with these new endeavors. Right? I wrote about this and I talked about this. There was some opportunities in commercial real estate. Um, there was, uh, you know, commercial real estate with large, um, you know, tenants um, that that seemed very stable. There was some opportunities that sounded really good with some extremely good operators in the fast food industry, uh, and. You know, I seriously thought about them, had some meetings, but then I turned them down and I turned them around, I I turned them down just a couple of months uh, before all of this COVID-19 stuff happened. It wasn't because I, I, you know, I'm claiming to predict this, I didn't. The bottom line was that when I looked at those opportunities, the risk-adjusted returns for those investments, the risk-adjusted returns for those investments, that's the important line. Was not even close to what we get in apartment buildings. Uh, what we've, you know, what we've been targeting and what we've gotten uh, in in apartment buildings through our investor club. You know, just an example. You know, uh, Western Wealth Capital is uh, one of our main partners. Um, they've done thirty percent annualized returns on average of thirty-two divestments. Thirty percent annualized returns on multifamily workforce uh you know multifamily, uh working class real estate i mean that's a lot more stable than you know a burger joint or you know uh office space a lot more stable so you gotta show me some serious um you know you gotta show me some serious returns and risk adjustment for me to start looking in another direction anyway uh like I said you know so I passed on that guess what three months. Into the disaster, all those businesses, opportunities that I was thinking about, well, they're toast, right? I mean, they may recover, but they're toast right now. Um, But our multifamily real estate, uh, we've got in our investor club, $350, $400 million uh, of of investment, uh, multifamily real estate. And collectively, we not only kept cash flowing in the last few months through this crisis, but we also actually hit all-time highs in occupancy, right? Because people got to live somewhere. So the moral of the story, sometimes it's better not to chase shiny objects. Sometimes boring is good. Actually, most of the time, boring is good. Next question is another written question from Michael Carter. Says, hi, Buck. I've been enjoying your show for the past couple of years. I'm early in my medical career. And I'd like to get your thoughts on what you might might do with, let's say, $100,000 during this pandemic. If you uh, put yourself back in, in uh, your shoes when you weren't yet a high net worth individual but had a sizable W-2 income and this pandemic fire sale came along, what asset classes would appeal the most to you under the current conditions? And would you buy now or wait a few months for things to become clear? Well, remember, don't try to catch a falling knife, right? That's what I'll start with. But let me let me start by also saying that nothing that I tell you is advice. This is all my opinion. I am not a certified financial advisor who, for some reason, people think has uh, information that um, is actually valuable. Um, but what I will tell you is that what I would do if I – you know, what I know now, if I knew that 12 years ago, say when I first got out of training and in reality, uh, what I would do then is what I do now, um, was slightly different, but it's basically the same formula for what I do now. Because again, uh, going back to the last questions, I kind of stopped chasing shiny objects, right? So now 85 to 90% of my investable assets, uh, every year, go into either Wealth Formula Banking, a type of infinite banking that you know about, whether you go to wealthformulabanking.com, or uh, real estate, or, or sort of both, which we'll get into in a second. Specifically in real estate, I like multifamily workforce housing, as we discussed, uh, and I also occasionally will dip my toes into the self-storage space as well. Now, uh, again, with regard to real estate, to be honest with, uh, uh, to be honest, there, you, you know, everybody goes through this discovery of real estate. Um, you know, maybe you read a Kiyosaki book or something like that, and all of a sudden you're like, I like this real estate thing; it makes a lot of sense to me. But what you have to do is be honest with yourself, um, and being honest with yourself early on is a good idea. And ask yourself the question of whether. You want to be a landlord, or if you want the income and tax benefits of real estate and all those great things, wealth creation, et cetera, without giving yourself another job. Now, if you don't want to be a landlord, focus on identifying operators with whom you can invest. I've talked about a couple, um, you know, and we we deal with a lot of those people in uh, Investor Club. Uh, for for accredited investors, so you can go sign up for that if you're interested. But you know, it's not just you know our group. I mean, MC companies, Ken McElroy's company, I love them too. Um, you know, focus on identifying operators with whom you can invest over and over again. You know, the good operators will get you consistent returns that will often exceed anything you could do on your own without the liability because you're a limited partner or the work. Well, how do you do that? Well if you're an accredited investor, it's going to take a little work uh, up front, right? Your due diligence becomes not doing due diligence on properties, but actually on the operators, right? Choosing the jockeys. And once you find the jockeys, you can keep going back to them over a long period of time. That's what we do in our uh, accredited investor group all the time, right? Now, the other thing I mentioned is Wealth formula banking. This is also known as infinite banking or cash flow banking. Uh, it's a strategy that, you know, it's derived from whole life insurance. And of course, if you are a newbie and you just got out of training, you heard a lot of bad advice and misinformation on permanent life insurance. I heard the same thing and I couldn't figure out why all of a sudden all these super wealthy people around me were using permanent life insurance products when when these people that you know who seemed like they were really smart when I came out of residency told me that it was worthless well it's cuz they weren't it's cuz they weren't super wealthy they didn't really know what all these uh what all these uh different paradigms and and strategies look like bottom line is uh strategy like wealth formula banking allows you to, you know, you make five, five and a half percent free, you know, tax-free compounding interest. That's virtually guaranteed. Uh, we can say virtually guaranteed because dividends have been paying out since before the Civil War, and through that time, a bunch of banks have gone, you know, defunct. You went through the Great Depression, hyperinflation, et cetera, and dividends kept pay- pay- paying out in these kinds of uh, strong companies. Five, five and a half percent. Tax free compounding interest. And then that's not bad. But what I can do is I can borrow money from the insurance company collateralized by the cash values that I have and borrow that money for simple interest, right? So my money's growing at a compound interest. I'm borrowing money at a simple interest from the insurance company. Meanwhile, while I use that simple interest money to invest somewhere else, My money continues to grow at a compound interest in my cash value account. That is what I call double dipping, investing the same money in two places at the same time. The younger you start in this kind of thing, the healthier you are when you start this kind of thing, the more powerful it can become. And I don't know anybody who uses this, uh, who started doing this, who regrets it. So check out WealthFormulaBanking.com to learn about it. Now, this strategy also has two additional benefits, right? Uh, first of all, it's stable uh, as anything gets. Far more conservative than corporate bonds, in my opinion. Right? I mean, insurance companies that own all the fanciest real estate in the country and all of the you know finest assets and are massively capitalized, been around for hundreds of years through all of these things. This is, in my opinion, uh, going to be superior to a corporate bond. The second uh, benefit. Uh, that is often overlooked paradoxically in these strategies is this is permanent life insurance. So there is a death benefit. In other words, seems obvious uh, in if you think about it this way, but you can, you know, you can screw up your finances as bad as you want, you know, while you're living. But the fortunate thing is for your children that you have created permanent insurance. In other words, you could die at 120 years old and you will guarantee your children won't pay for your investing mistakes. They'll be taken care of. Now, uh, given where we are at in this moment with this pandemic, as you uh, uh, asked about specifically, not buying any assets for a while until the economy declares itself um, with either a surprising rebound or blood in the street you know, the knife is falling. Right. I would personally right now uh, potentially look into uh, setting up a, a banking policy. Go to wealthformula. wealthformulabanking.com. Look at it. May not be for you, but I'm telling you, the sooner you get this concept in your head and you learn the power of it, you owe it to yourself to do that. Now, uh I said 85 to 90% of my money goes, you know, either uh, the permanent products or real estate. So you might be wondering where the last 10 to 15% of my portfolio goes. Well, I like to take some chances and look for asymmetric risk opportunities um, that could create disproportionate returns. Uh so we're talking about startups, venture, for me, you know, I played with cryptocurrency, um you know, I'm not sure, honestly, if that's a great idea for you until, you know, you, you have a little bit more of a foundation. But as you, you know, as you start to build your wealth and you have some more money to play with, I have called this in the past Maserati money until I actually bought one. Uh, so let, let me call it um, Ferrari money. Or you know Porsche money—the money that you know, instead of buying a, a Porsche or Ferrari, you decide you know what I'm going to play with this and well, if I if I bought one of those cars off the lot, it would depreciate automatically, and there's guaranteed no return. Here I'm going to play with something and give myself an opportunity for an enormous uh, return. Anyway, let's see. I would say that perhaps that is a good place uh, to stop for this particular episode of wealth formula podcast at least i mean with the ass buck component of this uh, we'll be right back after these messages welcome back to the show everyone i want to remind you that if you like this stuff and you're really into you know this whole concept of personal finance and you want to find a like-minded group and you've got some time in your hands because of the pandemic or whatever you may want to consider joining our Wealth Formula Network. This is our private group. Wealth Formula Network is the uh, you know, sort of our private community online, right? So it starts with a course, then you have a Facebook group, then you have, you know, there's a private portal, and then probably the most popular thing is bi weekly Zoom video phone calls. Um, they're not just phone calls; they're obviously video conferences. I think that's what you would call them. And we do that biweekly. We do fun things, like for example, you know, this week we are doing a book club on The Black Swan, uh, which uh, the um, Nassim Taleb book. Uh, we'll talk about everybody's personal, you know, financial uh, qu- uh, questions. Address them. Uh, this is where we can, you know name names and take no prisoners, so to speak. If there's things going on uh, in the space and you need to avoid somebody, this is where we will freely talk about it. But again, it starts with a course. You go in and then you become part of the community. It's definitely something to look into. If you are one of those people who loves this stuff and nobody around you does, uh, your wife won't talk to you about it, your neighbors, uh, they're not interested um, and you need an outlet, right? So this is a community for you. Check it out. Go to wealthformularoadmap.com. That's it for this episode of Ask Buck and Wealth Formula Podcast. This is Buck Joffrey signing off.
1: Thank you for listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast. Visit us
0: on the web at wealthformula.com. The information contained in this podcast are opinions, not fact. As always, consult your own financial team before making any investment. See you next time.